This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, the number one hunting, shooting and fishing podcast in Australia. Today I'm talking with the member for the Legislative Council in the Western Australian Parliament. And that man is Aaron Stonehouse, who represents the Liberal Democrats, also called the LDP. We talk about things like concealed carry, self-defence, semi-automatics. We talk about how he got involved with the LDP, what policies he'd like to push in Western Australian Parliament. And he also mentioned to me that he hasn't been hunting in WA. So if you're in Western Australia and you want to take Aaron out hunting, contact his office. I'm sure he'd love to take you up on that offer. So I hope you guys do enjoy the show. It was quite interesting uh, to hear his views, especially for a young 27-year-old man, very well-spoken. And uh, I think he's going to be good for WA Parliament, working with the crossbenchers, such as the three One Nation members, uh, and also Rick Mazza from the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party. So without further ado, let's get into my interview. Guns in WA with Liberal Democrats MLC, Aaron Stonehouse. Hi, this is Aaron Stonehouse, MLC for the Liberal Democrats in Western Australia. You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. All right, Aaron Stonehouse, representing the Liberal Democrats. Thank you for joining me here on the Australian Hunting Podcast to have a chat. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. No worries. Can you just uh, tell us, I want to find out about yourself first, a bit of personal history. Uh, who is Aaron Stonehouse? Give the people that may not know who you are a little bit of background about yourself. Right. Oh, where to start? Um, I guess I'm a, a pretty normal guy. Uh, before being elected to the West Australian Parliament, I had no involvement in politics. You know, i I was a spectator in politics. I was never actively involved in it. Um, I'm, uh, I'm 27, uh, 26 when I was elected. I'm a pretty normal guy, I suppose. Uh, you know, I, I was working a, you know, a, a job as a manager in a call center. Before that, I worked in retail, in JB Hi-Fi and Telstra retail stores. Um, and I'd just been sort of following along, you know, the LDP, the Liberal Democrats, David Lionhelm, um, online mostly. And uh, when it came time for the West Australian election, I thought I'd put my hand up and get involved. But uh, but other than that, uh, yeah, pretty normal guy. You know, I've I've, I've always had an interest in uh, in in shooting and in uh, shooting sports, um, but uh, but have never been involved in politics before this. All right, I just wanted to find out what got you interested in running for politics obviously 27 i mean i'd probably guess i don't know am i wrong one of the youngest guys in in wa parliament yeah in about uh 20 years or so i'm or so i'm told um look uh mostly i suppose it was um you know i i had followed the liberal democrats you know nationally um when david lanholm was elected in 2013 i think it was that put the Liberal Democrats on the map for me. You know, all of a sudden there was this party in Australia that actually, you know, espoused the same beliefs that I had. Before then, there was, there was no one who actually believed in, you know, this classical liberal, libertarian, small government, low tax, you know, kind of, uh, kind of idea. Um, so when David Lanehelm was elected, I joined the party in 2014. Um, but there wasn't really much for me to do in Western Australia. You know, all the action seemed to be over east, New South Wales. Um, fast forward a few years. The Liberal Democrats were registered in Western Australia for the election, uh, and the call went out for candidates. And 
I didn't really uh, have any aspirations. I wasn't I wasn't really interested in winning a seat, but I thought, you know, here's a chance for me to sort of put my hand up and, and give back a little bit to the movement, you know, maybe help with some campaigning. So I volunteered as a candidate. Um, didn't expect to win. Uh, we, we thought we might win one or two seats, but in different regions. Um, you know, what was the worst thing that could happen? You know, next thing I know, I was elected. So uh, it, it was a bit of a surprise. Um, you know, I, I guess you could say I'm a bit of a reluctant politician in a way, uh, however, you know, I do take the responsibility very seriously. You know, it's, uh, you know, I believe in small, accountable government, and uh, and I see that as my role is to really, you know, scrutinise the government, um, you know, hold them to account, and do what I can to sort of wind back some of the, you know, more, uh, you know, uh, pervasive, um, you know, insidious kind of regulations and red tape that uh, that affect our everyday lives. Yeah, what's it been like, you know, working with other? Party members accepting you, accepting you. Has it been interesting? Uh, any interesting stories? Or um, it's actually, it hasn't been that hard. Um, it's been a bit of a slow start. Uh, you, you actually don't spend a lot of time in Parliament House. That was that's probably one of the biggest um, shocks to me is that you really only spend three days a week in Parliament House, uh, and you only sit for about twenty odd weeks in a year. So, um, you know, I was elected in March, sworn in in May. And we've only actually been sitting for five weeks, and uh, and Parliament's only passed uh, one bill during that time, so it's, it's it's been a bit of a shock. Yeah, things move very slowly through Parliament, um, so I'm getting I'm adjusting to that. But otherwise, um, you know, it has been a bit of a learning experience. Um, nothing's hit us too hard yet. Uh, I, I'm sure that time will come when it all gets a bit too much, but uh, but so far we've managed to sort of slowly ease into things. Um, so I'm lucky in that sense, I guess. Yeah, I guess that'd be interesting to you too. You know, Bill's taking so long. I mean, how much money is being spent, you know, on not only politicians, I've got to say, like yourself too, but other politicians as well to, to pass one bill. I mean, that might be something you'd want to look at to the future as well. Yeah, yeah, things... <laughs> it's interesting, the contrast, because in the media, you know, in the news cycle, things move so quickly. An issue is discussed over maybe one or two days, and then that's it, it's gone. Whereas in Parliament, you know, we're discussing a bill over, you know, two, three weeks. So, um, yeah, it's a bit frustrating. So I'm still learning sort of how to how to work within that system and uh, make the most make the most of my time there. Yeah. Well, obviously, being 27, I'm 36. How did you come to, you know, looking at the old DP, but how, how did you, you know, did you grow up in a family that was sort of libertarian now, or you, you formed your own views growing up? Yeah, not really. Um, you know, I was raised uh, raised by a single mum, and uh, and you know, it was a Christian upbringing, fairly conservative values. You know, mixed with a little bit of environmentalism, I suppose. So maybe not the best incubator for for a libertarian worldview. Um, but I think uh, probably once I left high school, high school, um, I started to develop this sort of uh, you know skepticism. You know, um, th- this idea that. You know, I know what's best for myself, and I'd rather not have other people tell me how to live my life. But at the same time, I don't want to tell other people how to live their lives. This sort of live and let live kind of worldview. Um, I started to develop that, and um, and I started to sort of educate myself about, you know, a little bit about politics and economics. Um, and there were a few figures around that time, uh, like Ron Paul in 2008, this this uh, American libertarian politician who had this big sort of grassroots support, almost like Bernie Sanders did, uh, you know, last year. Um, so he sort of put libertarianism, um, you know, into my mind. And then I started to research it further, looking more into economics and politics. And, um, you know, but there wasn't, it, it was more just, you know, sort of a hobby. Uh, it wasn't until David Lanholm was elected and, and I discovered the Liberal Democrats that I realized, hey, this doesn't exist only in America. There's people who believe the same stuff in Australia. Um, so it kind of went from there, you know, educating myself a little bit, 
bit of a skeptic, skeptical mind, bit of a you know sort of laissez-faire approach to things, and then discovering the LDP and going and going from there. Yep. Do you think you know Australians have accepted freedom and libertarianism? No, probably not. I mean, there, there's a Australia does have that sort of laid-back kind of culture, which is great. Um, one thing that I, I will say we have is a is a deep um, dislike of politicians, which is fantastic. It seems like <laughs> most Australians hate pollies, and and there's a bit of a sort of tall poppy syndrome, which is good in a lot of ways. It's bad in other ways. You know, we get a lot of sort of anti-business sentiments in Australia, but but that we're very skeptical of politicians is a good thing. Um, uh, so that that's good. However, there's a certain um, oh, I would say complacency. Um, in Australian culture, I suppose there's a sort of desire to have the government look after us. You know, this. You know, um, most people are happy with nanny statism, which is, you know, that's quite bizarre to me. But it seems that there's a as a public um, sort of opinion that, you know, it's okay for government to tell us what to do because government knows best. Um, and that's something that's really hard to break. You where know? do you um, think? Sorry, didn't mean to butt in there. Where do you mm. think they get that from? Is it? Do you think it's from? Um, oh, I guess know, our I, English. Or I guess well, some of us came from I, England. I, I probably so. did. I mean, but... You know, just uh, as a passing thought, it probably does have some roots in sort of, you know, our, our British heritage and our and our British uh, institutions, you know, that sort of, um, you know, that, that British class system uh, that's a bit of a carryover with our Westminster system. I mean, don't get me wrong, we have, you know, probably one of the best parliamentary democracies in the world, um, but uh, but there are some carryovers where there's this, yeah, this attitude that, you know, you want the government to leave you alone, but you have a whole long list of exceptions where you expect the government to step in and take care of you. Um, and so that's something that we're we're slowly getting away from, but at a very very slow pace. It's a it's a bit of an, an uphill battle at times, I suppose. Yep. Uh, tell us about some of the core policies of the LDP, and I guess ones which you think you know for yourself that mean a lot to you in regards to working with the LDP. Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint a specific uh, policy. Um, I mean, a lot of the time, these you know the the government interfering in our lives. Personally, for me, it doesn't really affect me all that much. You know, before this, I didn't have much interference from the government aside from, you know, income tax and excise taxes. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess it's more of a, a sort of overall approach that, you know, to, to minimize the role of government in our lives, um, you know, let people live their own lives and, and make their own choices for better or for worse. Um, you know, be it things like uh, lowering taxes, removing unnecessary regulations, winding back the nanny state. You know, uh, letting people sort of be the master of their own lives, their own destiny, uh, rather than having bureaucrats in Canberra or, in my case, in, you know, in West Perth, tell us what to do and how to live. Um, I mean, uh, a couple of things that I suppose are closer to me would be would be taxes. You know, in Western Australia in particular, we have one of the highest uh, payroll tax rates, which, which is atrocious. You know, it's a tax on jobs. So we have one of the highest uh, unemployment rates in the country in West Australia. We have one of the highest payroll tax rates, and we have the lowest threshold for payroll tax. So, you know, we're taxing businesses that employ people um, once they hit a certain, uh, you know, once they hit a certain threshold. Um, you know, meanwhile, the government ignores that issue, and they have this, you know, plan to create jobs by uh, throwing money at various industries. Of course, the money that they throw at those industries comes from businesses that are efficient and are employing people. So it's this kind of merry-go-round of money. Um, but payroll tax is one issue. Uh, stamp duty is certainly another. You know, a lot of young people can't afford to buy a house. I haven't bought a house yet. I'm still renting. Um, and then another one would be uh, regulations around smoking. You know, if you, I don't smoke cigarettes, but I enjoy a cigar every now and then. And uh, if I want to smoke a cigar, I, I have to sit out in the cold and rain. There's nowhere anywhere in Perth 
where you can smoke uh, indoors. It's it's completely outlawed. So uh, you know, in winter time, you, you got to sit out in the cold, and miserable rain if uh, if you want to enjoy a smoke with your drink. I don't, I don't think you can drink in those areas. Actually, it's strictly smoking only, I believe. So there's a couple of little things that that kind of screw me over in particular. But I like to take a more sort of principled, consistent approach to freedom. Right. So I'm not I'm not really interested in things that affect me personally. I'm interested in in things that affect everybody. You know, if if I'm going to demand you know uh, freedom and respect from the government so I can you know smoke you know uh, uh, you know indoors at a at a licensed venue, then I need to apply that same principle to everybody else. You know, so um, you know I may not like uh, I don't know uh, bicycle riders. They get in the way. They slow down traffic. Sure, but um, but that doesn't mean I want to you know impose my views on them and restrict their freedom just for the sake of it. I need to apply this this idea of limited government and freedom to everybody equally, or yeah. else it applies to nobody. Not down to a policy level, what do you hope generally to achieve in your first term of parliament? Generally speaking, I'd, I'd like to just raise the profile of the Liberal Democrats in Western Australia. I mean, um, you know, we're a small party. Uh, we're, we're, we've got David Landhelm in the federal Senate, um, but still very few people actually know about the party. Um, so uh, raising the profile, just raising a bit of awareness, letting people know what we actually stand for. There's often a lot of miscommunication. You know, people don't understand what libertarians stand for. They think we're just uh, conservatives uh, a lot of the time, or um, conservatives often think we're lefties. Um, when when <laughs> the reality is, you know, we, we sort of, we're, we're neither, um, but we're both. Uh, you know, we, we believe in economic freedom, but also social freedom. We apply it to both sides of the, of the, uh, of the debate there. Um, so, you know, yeah, really just raising some awareness and letting people know, hey, you know, that there is another option. You don't have to keep voting for you know the Liberal Party or the or the Labor Party. You've got another option here of people who actually believe in in limited government and low taxes. Uh, you know we're a small party, so we can say what we think and and we stick by our principles. You know we're not going to sell out and, and act like the Liberals and go for some kind of you know centrist policy. We're going to stick to our guns and we're going to stay principled. Um, but beyond that, I mean, uh, I'm in the upper house and it, it acts as a house of review. So um, you know I hope that I can. Maybe stop, you know, uh, some of these more, uh, um, you know, onerous and uh, and coercive laws and regulations from coming into uh, into act. Um, you know, uh, just recently, uh, we managed to, with, with myself, with the crossbench and the opposition, we managed to block uh, a new regulation that would have removed a tax exemption from local government. So local government would have to start paying full tax on all their stamp duty and vehicle registration fees. So the state government mismanages its finances. Now they expect local governments to pick up the tab. Of course, it won't be local government that pays this fee. It will be ratepayers. So uh, myself, the crossbench and the opposition, we all got together. We had enough votes to stop that from actually happening, you know, saving ratepayers potentially millions of dollars. So it's, it's that kind of stuff that I hope I can do. You know, I don't expect to introduce any sort of, you know, huge change or sweeping legislation. You know, I'm not going to, you know, suddenly, um, you know, uh, legalize, you know, concealed carry of handguns or something. But, you know, there's little things, you know, if I can stop just one bad law or bad regulation from being enacted, uh, then, then that's a good thing. And that's that's kind of what I'm aiming for, you know, see how much how much of the bad laws I can stop. Yeah, there's been a change in government, obviously, over in WA. Mm. Uh, what do you think of the Liberal Party uh, and also the Labor Party in WA? Uh, you know, they're um, so we've got a new Labor government, um, and they do seem quite pragmatic. I mean, you know, I always worry that um, Labor is, you know, sort of this socialist light party, um, you know, a sort of Fabian approach uh, creeping in, you know, little bits of um, 
you know, authoritarian, you know, uh, laws and bills, you know, bit by bit. The, the current Labor government does seem quite pragmatic. They, they're at least paying lip service to the state debt. Um, so it seems good so far. But, you know, time will tell. I mean, you know, we're only a few weeks in uh, or a couple of months in rather. Um, you know, we've got four years ahead of us. So we'll see what happens. Um, in terms of the Liberal Party, um, you know, they're sort of a little uh, demoralised, I suppose. They lost a lot of their seats in the lower house, quite a few in the upper house as well. The previous Premier was uh, certainly not a Liberal, not by any definition of the word. He was uh, more of, you know, passed a lot of, you know, big spending, big taxing uh, legislation. He um, ran up the state debt. He did nothing for tax reform, you know, and uh, and they even even introduced a few of these regulations that we're fighting now. So an absolutely horrible Liberal government did stand for any of the principles that they profess. Um, now that their premier is gone, the Liberal Party is sort of in, in opposition, is able to stay a little more principled, but it seems they lose those principles whenever they take government. Um, that's good for me. That, that means I can sort of stand out as the as the one person who actually, you know, stands up for what they believe rather than, uh, you know, selling out my principles whenever uh, it comes time to make an important decision. But, uh, but overall, the makeup of the current parliament means that the Labour government can't pass legislation on their own. Even if they get the Greens to help them, they still don't have enough votes to pass legislation alone. They need one more vote. And so assuming that the Liberal Party and the National Party oppose the, whatever, whatever the bill the government is trying to pass, um, they, they, can, uh, they, they need to negotiate for one more vote, which is either myself or Rick Mazza from the Shooters and Fishers Party or one of the One Nation members. Um, so that puts the crossbench in a, in a very unique position there where we can, we can negotiate, we can leverage our vote, you know, to support a, a government bill and perhaps, uh, you know, get the government to pay attention to what, what we find important. Um, a bit like what happens in the federal Senate, you know, the, the government can't pass bills on its own, it has to negotiate, which means there's more scrutiny of what they're trying to do, more opportunity for the smaller voices to be heard rather than just drowned out by the major parties. Mm. The, the tax on councils, how did that go down with the uh, Labor government? Not so well? Oh, they were fuming. Yeah, <laughs> they uh... The day that it happened, um, they didn't want to talk about the issue. They wanted to put it off until August. Of course, we needed to talk about it before the end of the financial year, before a lot of these councils had to pay their, their fees, right? Um, so we had enough votes. We brought the issue forward. We completely derailed the government's uh, you know, um, order of business for the day. They, they, were, they were absolutely fuming. They were, um, they were complaining, but of course, there's nothing they can do about it. So... Uh, yeah, so it was a bit of fun. Um, but, we, you know, we were respectful. We got through that issue quickly within about an hour, and then we went back onto, uh, onto the, the previous order of business. So they didn't really have a lot to complain about, but they were absolutely fuming that they lost control of the upper house uh, for that brief moment. Yeah, I know. It's interesting. And you were talking about, too, has it been getting in and talking with people, you know, voters from WA, as you said, because the name sometimes can be a little confusing because people think, oh, LDP, it's the, it's the Liberal National Party, or it's got the word <laughs> Democrat. So if you're from America, yeah. that generally means you're towards the left, you're not Republican. So how's yeah. that been trying to educate people on not only the party, but the party name and sort of what it actually means? Yeah, yeah, it's a bit funny. Um, you know, sometimes it helps us. Uh, you know, it, it'll get people to pay attention to us because they think liberal. Most of the time, however, it's a hindrance because people think, oh, liberal, well, you guys fucked up the last eight years, you know, and we'll cut <laughs> a lot of flack for that. So, um, you know, so it's it's good and bad at times. Um, but, you know, uh, educating people about what we actually believe in is, is quite difficult because you take one policy from liberal Democrats without context and you could form all kinds of crazy opinions. You know, we want to... 
I don't know, legalize uh, cannabis. You know, so someone hears that policy and they're like, oh, well, they're a bunch of left-wing lunatics. Well, no, 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 we're not. We actually believe in free markets and, you know, and a right to self-defense and individual responsibility and all these other things. Um, you know, but at the same time, someone might hear us talk about, you know, um, lower taxes or, or, or some kind of free market policy and they think, oh, they're a bunch of right-wing lunatics, you know, so... Um, Catch, capturing people for at least a moment so we can, you know, explain what we actually believe in, you know, and, and let them know that our policies are rooted in this, you know, this philosophy of classical liberalism, of libertarianism. Um, it's a challenge. Um, we're getting there, I suppose. Uh, the upside is um, in West Australian politics, my election has been a bit of a novelty in a way. So I'm getting a bit of press, you know, attention, a bit of press coverage, and that's given me an opportunity, a bit of a platform to sort of explain what the party believes and what I believe in and, uh, and, and sort of, you know, increase our profile in West Australia a little bit. Are you looking to buy a new or used firearm? Do you want to sell that safe queen to fund your next purchase? Then go to ozgunsales.com. We have over 200 registered firearms dealers Australia-wide and thousands of shooters using the site daily. There are over 2,500 firearms listed, so you're certain to find exactly what you're looking for. We have over 50 years of firearms industry experience, including 8 years online. So why wouldn't you advertise with us? The one and only genuine original Ozguns. How are you going with the crossbench too? Obviously, it's yourself, Rick Mazza. I know, um, was it Nigel Hallett didn't get re-elected for the SFP, um, mm. or he converted obviously from very the Lib- close. Yeah, yeah, from the Liberal yeah. National Party. Um, and we have also got Three One Nation. How's that been going? Uh, has been a good relationship between the crossbenchers? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been great not being the only you know new person from a minor party. Um, so that that's been that's been a bit of a relief. Um, you know, the crossbench we we do work rather closely. Rick Mazzo and and the guys from One Nation we all get along quite well and we communicate openly. So that's a good thing. It also means that there's an opportunity there for us to work together. You know, um, I mentioned before the makeup of the upper house. Um, one thing because there's five of us, um, we can actually if we sided with the Labor government, we could help the Labor government pass the legislation without them relying on the Greens party. Um, so that that's huge. That means that the the government doesn't need to rely on this you know socialist far left party to pass its legislation. They can come to us and we can help them pass the legislation. You know, assuming it's sensible legislation. Um, so that that puts us in a, a and again a very unique position. But um, in, in terms of the, the guys on the crossbench, all great. Rick Mazza, you know, he's he's been returned for a second term, so he knows what he's doing. Um, he's been a huge help. And uh, I find myself and Rick, we agree on a lot of things, at least when it comes to economic issues. He's very much a, a fiscal conservative from what I measure. And we obviously agree on, you know, on firearms legislation too. Uh, the One Nation guys are a little harder to, to, to nail down. They're... Um, quasi-conservative at times, um, but a little bit populist in other ways. So, you know, we all agree on some things and disagree on others, um, but they're at least open-minded. They're willing to negotiate and debate ideas. What about um, on firearms? Have you had any discussions about firearms, and what do you think their thoughts are on those that particular issue? Very briefly. Uh, I will say they don't appear to be uh, ideologues when it comes to firearms. So they maintain an open mind. You know, um, uh, Rick and I talking to them about firearms, it seems that they agree with us on some on, on some aspects of firearm law and, and perhaps are open to to uh, discussing further other uh, issues around firearm law. I imagine um, 
you know, if, uh, if, if things could be spelt out to them, you know, here are the facts, you know, this legislation won't do anything or this bill will do something, that they're, they're kind of they're open to, um, you know, to debating those ideas and to learning. Um, so that's good. You know, we're not dealing with people who are stuck in their ways, at least when it comes to firearms, at least from what I can gather. Absolutely. Let's say, obviously, you're in Parliament now. Now, what are the first, say, two or three things you're going to try and tackle in your first term of government? What results? People obviously voted for you, so they, they, they obviously realise, too, it's going to be difficult as one person, but as a voting bloc, there could be some benefits. So uh, what results can they expect, and what are, say, the top two or three issues uh, you'd hmm. be looking at as a priority? Well, there are, there are a few things that like to see addressed, uh, you know, in this first term. I mean, there, there are a lot of issues around, you know, this kind of nanny status and this paternalism where, you know, government is setting regulations that take away people's responsibility for themselves. Um, that's something that I'd like to see addressed. It's a pretty, you know, um, broad tent of, uh, of issues, but I think it's one worth pursuing. You know, we've got... Um, a lot of just rather needless regulations. Uh, up until uh, a few months ago, West Australia had a potato marketing board, and they basically dictated how many potatoes you could grow. And there's quite a famous uh, you know, court case that's happened in West Australia here where one particular guy was growing too many potatoes and he was taken to court and sued for it. Um, luckily, he won the, that initial case, I believe, but now, they're, uh, now the potato marketing board is suing for damages. Um, they've abolished that potato marketing board now, but... You know, just really absurd things like that that don't serve to protect anybody's natural rights. They really only serve to impede on people's personal choice. Um, but uh, but there's also a lot of red tape around business. So, you know, um, needless regulations and taxes around business that, again, are just, you know, damaging economic growth and, and you know, are, are really contributing to the unemployment rate we have here. There are a couple of hunting or, or firearm issues as well that, you know, I think are worth looking at. One of them is, um, uh, well, airsoft. It's not a firearm issue, and it shouldn't be. But at the moment, airsoft is practically banned in West Australia, as it is in every other state. Um, there's a lot of evidence to show that it shouldn't be, that it should be taken completely out of the Firearms Act and, and treated as a separate issue and, you know, and, and lightly regulated. That's something I'd like to look at. Um, we've also got uh, a few recommendations from a recent law reform commission that you know, suggested things like allowing hunting on public land, and, uh, and I think it may have suggested suppressors uh, being legalized, but that's definitely something I'd like to see. You know, some, uh, we're not going to make any you know, sweeping changes to firearm law, but we can go for those little things where you know, it's uh, an easier argument to make <clears throat> than, um, you know, say, bringing back all semi-autos, for example. Let's talk about a bit about, well, I guess, about hunting and shooting and, and a bit of fishing. Do you do all of the above? What do you enjoy? You know, I've actually never been hunting. Um, I've always wanted to, but I've never had the chance. You know, I grew up in a metro area. I've, I've not spent a lot of time, you know, around farms, around rural areas. Um, so I've never had a chance to. The shooting I have done has been, you know, heading heading to a range and uh, and doing some just, you know, um, some, some you know, long, long arm shooting, uh, you know, steel plates and things like that. Um, I'm trying to get into practical pistol. Um, <clears throat> it seems like the most fun that can be had uh, on a firing range, at least you know the most sort of most exciting and most challenging way to uh, to get into shooting. Um, that's a really long process, though. So um, I'm in the I'm in the process of uh, of doing that. I've joined a club. I'm just uh, waiting for some uh, for some chance for some time to get uh, holster proficiency, but it takes a long time. They have a long waiting list. Um, I don't do fishing. I, I do get out uh, on the water and do some kayaking, but I haven't I haven't taken a neck to doing fishing while out kayaking yet. Although my kayak is rigged up so you can put uh, fishing poles in it. But uh, but yeah, mostly my shooting experience so far has just been, you know, uh, out on the range shooting at steel plate targets.
Looking for a big weekend? Australia's biggest sport shooting and outdoor event, the SSAA Shot Expo, is now even bigger. With hunting gear and outdoor equipment from the world's biggest names, plus demonstrations, talks, and entertainment for the whole family. Over 120 displays, one location. The SSAA Shot Expo, RA Showgrounds, Brisbane, August 26th and 27th. Book online or pay on the day. Visit shotexpo.com.au for sponsors and the full program. And you said your pistol, anything else, clay, uh, clay targets, shotguns, any other disciplines you partake in? No, no, not yet. I'm a bit of an amateur when it comes to shooting. I, I've always had an interest in shooting. You know, I, I grew up with, uh, with, you know, with six brothers. Um, and, you know, so I sort of uh, I grew up with a lot of the same stuff that they did, you know, 80s action movies, old World War II and Vietnam comics, you know, military magazines and so on. So you know, from like a young age, I developed this kind of fascination with all things firearms and military. Um, so I've always been fascinated by firearms, but just because of where I live and my work, I've never had a chance to really fully immerse myself in that. Um, you know, so getting out to a range once in a while is the most I've done. If anyone's listening to the show, folks, so you, you want to take Aaron out hunting, send him an email, <laughs> yeah. take yeah, him out to. hunting, get him on some <laughs> private land over there because you don't have public land hunting as of yet in WA. I know you guys are trying hard to... To, uh, yeah, no, I, I would jump at the opportunity to, yeah. I'd yep. love to do some hunting. So send him an email, guys. Take him out. Do a bit of hunting. He, got, he hasn't done it, so let's get him out and see if he enjoys it. Uh, how did you get into it when you were younger? Were your parents, um, did you grow up in, I guess, uh, Perth Metro? Were your parents into any hunting or shooting activities? Or how did you get this interest in, in firearms? Yeah, it was actually uh, one of my brothers who took me shooting the first time. Um, so, yeah, my uh, my older brother, uh, Tavis, um, took us out. He he had a license and a couple of rifles, and he took us down to uh, the Jarradale uh, firing range. And um, and uh, he had a, a mate there as well who um, was part of the pistol club. So we got to go through some rifles and, uh, and pistols that first time. I think I was probably uh, 16, yeah, probably 16 when that when, it, when I first went shooting. And, um, you know, I've, I've done a bit of shooting since then, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was him who got me into it. Uh, the uh, my um, my mum has an open mind towards firearms, but uh, but she's never owned one, so couldn't take us out. So it was yeah, it was my brother who took me out there. If if you've got any firearms in the safe, uh, can you share any? Someone said information, but uh, which one's your favourite? If you own any, uh, well, I don't own any at the moment. Actually, um, my my younger brother just bought me a, uh, a Lee Enfield like deactivated uh, Lee Enfield as like a like a I don't know like a prop or something to hang on a wall. Um, for my birthday. Uh, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. Uh, I'll have to check with <laughs> West Australian police to see how they feel about having deactivated rifles, you know, in the office of my electorate office here. I, I think it would be pretty cool to have a rifle, like, hanging on the wall behind me, you know, when people come in for meetings. But um need to check with the police about exactly. that. Exactly. Knowing uh, the uh, draconian <laughs> yeah. WA police, you know, they, <laughs> you know they're, they're always wanting to take away. And that's an interesting thing. You, you, you're getting on to that because I don't want to j- j- uh, segue into the new topic, but I find that interesting. I mean, WA obviously has very, very draconian gun laws, and we always have mm. discussions on this show about police wanting more rights to take firearms home, uh, mm. to have firearms off duty, and there's been a lot of robust discussion about not only with myself, but listeners of the show and other hosts that I have that host with me on the show. And, I mean, police always wanting more, but wanting us to have less. And they and in most yeah. of Australia, there is opportunities, obviously, for self-defense, as in what I mean by that is, uh, well, legally I can defend myself, but I don't have the means to be able to defend myself. And I find this is majorly a problem, that the police uh, are trying to make, or that do make the laws in the country, not the bureaucrats. H- how can we stop this happening? Police should be enforcing the law, not making the law. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you know, the <clears throat> the the former uh, police commissioner Carl Callahan was was really bad for that. You know, this guy would come out and do press conferences and and go on the radio and on TV and constantly advocate for changes in the law rather than just doing his job, which to enforce the law as it currently is. There's a, uh, you know, it's it's sort of like, a, almost like a form of judicial activism. Um, you know, he's, he's there to uphold the law as it is, not to not to change it, not to lobby politicians to change it. Um, hopefully we don't have that problem with whoever the new police commissioner is, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, but the point you made about not having a practical means for self-defense, very good point, you know, um, in, in West Australia, you can you can actually buy pepper spray, you know, OC spray over the counter. I think we're one of the few states we can actually do that. However, um, the law is written in such a way where the police will still fine you if they catch you with pepper spray. So you can buy it. And the law says, I can't remember the exact wording, but there's something along the lines of, you know, you can have pepper spray for self-defense so long as you can demonstrate a genuine need for, for needing to defend yourself. You know, as a layman, I would think, okay, well, if I live in a nasty neighborhood, that's a need to defend myself. You never know what might happen. I'll carry pepper spray. But in reality, the police will still, unless you can point to a specific threat to your life, you know, or to your well-being, the police will still fine you for carrying pepper spray. Um, which is quite absurd. You know, we're talking about non-lethal, you know, means of self-defense here that, you know, pepper spray really isn't worth much. It might give you a few seconds to get away from somebody at most, um, but you're hardly going to incapacitate most people with pepper spray um, and people are still being fined for carrying it. There was a case a few years ago in uh, in a neighborhood of Perth where uh, a pregnant woman was, you know, uh, heading to her job in the early hours of the morning, about 2 a.m., with pepper spray, and uh, the, the the police searched her and found the pepper spray and fined her, I think, five hundred dollars for carrying it, um, because she couldn't, you know, produce a sort of genuine, you know, reason for having it, as far as the police were concerned. So it's quite scary stuff, you know. We have this implied right, you know, this right to self-defense, but like you say, the the police are taking away any practical means of doing it. It's it's a scary thing because it kind of, you know, it it means that people who are, you know, physically fit you know, uh, who are good at fighting, who know martial arts, things like that. Those are the people who can defend themselves or who are capable of robbing you. But if you are someone who's physically weaker, smaller stature, you know, a, a woman, an elderly person, someone with a physical disability, you have absolutely no chance. Um, it's really scary stuff. And, and of course, you know, there's nothing stopping criminals from carrying a knife or a bat or some other kind of weapon um, that's much more dangerous than pepper spray. Um very, very scary stuff. But, you know, there is scope to change that. I mean, it's it's one line in the Weapons Act. It's possible that we might be able to get some change there. We'll, we'll have to see. But, um, you know, little steps, I suppose. Yeah, this is the problem. And, and I think shooters, you know, and hunters and, and gun owners in general find it hard to swallow. The laws they espouse, they don't even follow themselves. I mean, they say, well, yeah, you can't have a firearm. But then, you know, the likes of the, the PM, you know, people in certain situations that need a firearm. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're the first people to uh, wanting to get access to firearms. I mean, Malcolm Turnbull says, oh, I don't need a firearm for self-defense. Yet he's more than happy to have, you know, armed security around him. But if he truly believe the laws, you know, he espouses, well, then yeah, his armed security, they would have no form of self-defense. I mean, this is the... The problem, and I think this is where people are getting a little bit jack, you know, of the government. And it's, in my opinion, it's a demonstrable failure of of their attitude to continue to allow this to happen. Yet they are okay to do it themselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I, I'll, I'll go back to that point. You know, it's it's normally the people who are physically weaker who are the victims. You know, here the, a, a weapon for self defence is really just an equaliser. Someone the same size as me comes at me and tries to rob me. I've got a pretty good chance of fighting him off, but. You know, if if I was a, you know, yeah, if I was a, a, a an elderly person or a woman or someone with a physical disability, I'd stand no chance. 
having a weapon like pepper spray or a taser or, you know, a firearm or anything else, it really just, it gives me a chance. You know, it, it, it means that no longer am I, you know, a victim because of my physical stature. Um, you know, I've, I've got a chance to actually defend myself and take responsibility for my own life, my own self-defense. Um, there's a, a, a quote or an anecdote. I think it's, you know, God created man equal, Sam Colt. Oh, sorry, God created man, Sam Colt created them equal. Uh, you know, this, this idea that, you know, a, a gun or a weapon or anything else for self-defense, just a force equalizer, takes away, uh, you know, the, someone's physical stature um, out of the equation when it comes to a confrontation. Um, you know, it might mean the difference between someone escaping a, you know, a robbery or a rape or something like that or an abduction attempt. Um, but uh, but you, you mentioned, you know, there's one rule for the police, one rule for politicians, one rule for everyone else. Uh, and I think we see that in West Australia where, you know, the, recently the police union has been lobbying to get stab-proof vests for all cops. Uh, you know, a noble cause. I, I agree. You know, with a lot of terrorism recently, we've got, you know, knives being used in terrorist attacks. It makes sense that police should have stab-proof vests. However, you know, a, a civilian can't get those. You know, uh, members of the public can't get ballistic vests and, and, and things like that. Police are also lobbying for uh, semi-auto rifles, you know, AR-15s, um, you know, to respond to terrorist attacks. Not just that the tactical response groups have them, but that all police have access to semi-autos is what they're pushing for. Um, you know, meanwhile, us, you know, us plebs in the public, you know, can't even get pepper spray to defend ourselves. Um, so, you know, that the that the police are perceiving a risk and want to be, you know, up-armed, um, fair enough. But what about the rest of us, you know? The police can't be there to protect everybody. At least give us a fighting chance. Exactly. And I, I have this conversation, too. I'd like to try to get your thoughts on it, too. And we, we may disagree, because I know I probably disagree with this part, and it's for a certain reason. But we're talking about, you know, uh, police carrying firearms when they're off duty. Now, mm. I have a lot of friends who, who agree with that thing. But Yeah, I, no, I have no problem with that either. I think, uh, why not? You know, if there's... If there was an opportunity, I mean, we trust these guys with almost ultimate power already, right? If anyone, sh- if anyone is capable of carrying a weapon, you know, a concealed firearm, um, you'd think it would be police. I mean, they're the guys we trust to do everything else. Um, you know, and if and if one crime could be stopped by a police officer off duty having their firearm, I think a good approach. You know, um, why not? We, we already, you know, trust these guys to have a firearm during working hours. I don't see why we wouldn't trust them to have one uh, during off hours. So in theory, I agree with what you're saying, provided I'm given the same opportunity as well. And this is where I have the debate. Mm, and I, right. I know because I've had a, a previous roommate who was uh, from New Zealand, really nice guy. And he, he used to tell me that New Zealand is vehemently one against police even carrying firearms whilst on duty. And the general public are definitely totally against uh, New Zealand uh, police carrying or taking guns home. Now, I know what the police are like in Australia, and this is why I, I disagree with it, for the fact that I know that it could possibly turn into you know, an authoritarian or a police state because are the police going to allow me to carry a firearm as well? Or not even carry a firearm, but even in-home self-defense? Probably not. So why am I willing to extend their mm. rights, but they're not going to extend my rights? And this is where I get into a bit of an issue that police are always asking for more. As you said, they're asking for AR-15s and, and semi-automatic weapons, yet they, they treat law-abiding firearms owners with disdain, pretty much. So this is mm. where mm. I find it a major issue. In theory, if they allow me to carry a firearm, at least a home for self-defense, I'll be more than happy to say, well, you guys, no problem. That, that would be no problem, provided that same you know, issue is extended to us as well, especially knowing the fact that I have a lot of friends. I mean, you probably know people too, Aaron. Very, very proficient with firearms, very great pistol shooters. Uh, Police Mm, in New mm. South Wales, I know where I'm from, 
I have made many mistakes and, and end up yeah. shooting uh, the general public. I mean, people yeah. get really upset when I say yeah. that. I'm like, well, hang on. We yeah. saw this at the, the not, well, one, not only the Lint Cafe, but let's forget about that one for a minute. Let's talk what about... that shopping centre in, was it Melbourne? Uh, I can't remember where that there was There was one yeah. uh, up here, the Hornsby shooting in... Uh, Shot an old lady, yeah. Yeah, well, not one old lady, three old ladies from about <laughs> oh, five metres. And I understand they're doing a job and I, I can't, I'm not in that position, so I can't pretend to know the situation. But when someone shoots static targets once every year yeah, to a year and a half, yeah. how do you expect to shoot a moving target? And if, if you put a badge on your arm, on your shirt, people think, oh, police officer, totally trained, when often that is totally not the case. Often they're very inept with firearms and they need a lot more training. That's not having a go at the police, yeah. that's just the facts. No, well, you make a good point there. A lot of the people who join a pistol club, you know, and, and take that, you know, hobby seriously, well, that sport seriously, you know, they're probably more proficient than police are with a firearm, and, and I wouldn't dispute that. Um, you know, and you make a good point, you know, that it's one rule for them and one rule for us. Uh, the only counter I would I would have is, you know, look, okay, giving police the ability to carry firearms when they're off duty, you know, it may not be fair for now, but it, it, it at least takes a step forward in terms of kind of normalizing and removing some of the stigma away from firearms in the public view, you know. Um, you know, if we can get cops to carry them off duty, you know, then maybe further on down the track we can get, you know, people who have Cat H and, you know, and, and can carry a pistol can apply for a special concealed carry permit as well. I mean, it's, you know, it's not perfect, but it, I feel like it's at least a step in the right direction, a step towards normalizing, uh, you know, concealed carry and changing attitudes around concealed carry firearms. Um, you know, it may not, yeah. So, yes, it's unfair to give that ability to police, but, uh, you know, I feel that, you know, it would be a step in the right direction at least to changing attitudes. And I know the conversation pretty much people have, you know, other hosts on my show as well have pretty much said, you know, the same thing as you. I just get very you know, uh, uneasy when, you know, to turn it into a police state and, you know, them look down on firearms owners when really, when really police and, you know, gun owners really should be working together and they should actually have some of the best relationships amongst, you know, uh, amongst each other uh, and, and really, you know, police should be helping gun owners and gun owners where, where need be should be, be able to help the police in certain situations, yeah, not, not as in using their firearms, but, you know, we should be working together for a great outcome for all parties involved. You know, especially when there's theft, you know, whenever there's a firearm theft from a store or, or from someone's home, there's always this real demonization of the of, of the firearm owner, which is quite ridiculous, you know, because they're the victim here, really. I mean, they're the person who's had their probably a thousand dollars worth of uh, worth of goods stolen from them, um, you know, and, and then they have to live with the idea that there's some crim out there that probably has their gun. Um, you know, so, yeah, police, you know, they, they should definitely have a more, you know, cooperative attitude towards firearm owners, I feel. Um it, it's, uh, you know, especially when it comes to theft. Uh, you know, we need to remember who the real victims are there. Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425 881 967 or email australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Let's talk about another interesting one, uh, firearms registration. I, th- I think it's a demonstrable failure. What's your, what's your thoughts mm. on that? Yeah, you know, um, I'm inclined to agree. You know, I, I, I was looking the other day doing a bit of research and I found that um, 
that uh, Canada tried to implement a long arms register and dropped it after finding it was completely pointless and, and, and cost them too damn much. And I think the same thing was done in New Zealand. I'm, I may be mistaken, but I think they dropped the long arms register in NZ for the same reason. With these kinds of registers, it's rather pointless. I mean, uh, unless, you know, they're sort of um, managing to catch up with the gun and they're matching up ballistics, there, there doesn't seem to be much point to them. Um, you know, lice the firearm owner, not the firearms, seems to make more sense to me. You know, and, and also there's, there's some real privacy concerns too. I mean, we're always hearing about how these databases and this information is always leaked from police to the public. Um, you know, uh, metadata um, is being, you know, sort of uh, illegally accessed by by uh, by the Australian Federal Police, you know, even. So even they can't follow their own rules on when it's okay and not okay to access data. Um, why we think, you know... Uh, a register of of long arms would be safe in you know in police and bureaucrats' hands. I don't know. I I don't see much justification for it, really. It's interesting because I mean, obviously, I follow this a lot. I mean, uh, New Zealand got their, rid of their firearms registration back in the mid nineteen eighties. They said they tried. They said it was a complete waste of money. Uh, but before Justin Trudeau, a long serving, I think it was almost ten years, uh, Stephen Harper, Canadian Prime Minister, said, you know, long arms registration wasteful and ineffective. It's not saved one single Canadian life. I mean, that's a pretty 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 big bold statement from uh, the former PM and also Anne Tolley, the police minister, former police minister in. Uh, New Zealand said uh, there's no evidence to show that, in fact, the private registration of yeah. firearms will give any greater protection uh, to the community than the current system. So why does Australia, one of the last countries in the world, to register firearms? How can we continue with this wasteful bureaucracy? That's something the LDP, you know, wouldn't that be something they'd be pushing forward for the future? Yeah, no, absolutely. We are we are very much opposed to any kind of long arms register. It's actually a policy on our website. You know, we understand that it's it's rather pointless. It's a waste of money. It doesn't actually result in any reduction in firearm crime. And we've got those examples of New Zealand and Canada to to show us that. You know, very similar countries, similar uh, demographics, similar culture, similar political system, and uh, and and they've found it doesn't work. So why we would persist, uh, I I don't know. I think it's because, you know, a lot of firearms debate in Australia is emotionally driven. Not a lot of people are interested in the facts and the data and the statistics. They're, they're driven by emotion and sensationalism, um, and that kind of clouds a lot of people's judgment in, in the firearms debate. Yeah, there was one just recently, probably about 12 months ago, maybe a bit longer, and uh, it was one of the, might have been one of your police commissioners. He was on uh, the radio and he had this big bolt action that was seized, had a big muzzle brake on it. Not sure what caliber it was. And he goes, Oh, it looks, I think it looks full, fully automatic or semi automatic to me. Well, you could clearly <laughs> see it was a bolt action. This is what we're dealing with in, in WA, not just WA, but all parts around Australia, that we have oh, the yeah. police who are totally uneducated on firearms telling the general public on radio this could be a semi automatic. Automatic or a you know fully automatic weapon. Clearly, saying it was a bolt action. Mm, yeah, that's it. You know, the the policymakers and the police and the press are, are completely ignorant of firearms. You know, I'm no expert either, right? You know, but I have an interest in them. Uh, you know, I know at least a little bit. Um, and and you just listen to the. The, the really ignorant rhetoric they spew, you know, talking about, um, you know, fully automatic this and and clip this and, uh, you know, and, um, you know, assault weapon that. It's it's, it's quite a... Uh, it's funny if it wasn't so goddamn terrifying. I've got a good question for you. How hard is the, I guess, yourself, Shooters and Fishers Party's Rick Mazza, hopefully the, the One Nation crossbench, how hard are you guys going to fight to open up uh, public land to hunters in Western Australia? 
Oh yeah, it's look, it's uh, definitely you know high up there on my list of issues. I know uh, Rick Mazza feels very very passionately about it. Something that he that he has been pushing for for a long time. I don't know a lot about it, to be honest. It, you know, it's something that I've just started to learn about, um, this push to, to have hunting on Crown land. But uh, but I'm behind it, absolutely. You know, it's it's my view and it's a policy of the Liberal Democrats that, you know, public land, national parks, etc., they should be open for people to use. You know, it, we should be able to hunt, fish, uh, you know, four-wheel drive in our national parks. Otherwise, you know, what's the point of having them? You know, why do we spend all this money, all this time and resources preserving nature if we're not going to at least be able to enjoy it and appreciate it um so you know i'm all for yeah opening up public land parks etc for uh, for hunting fishing before driving you name it um let's let's start to make use of those assets you know let people actually reconnect with nature and 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 understand why it's so important that we preserve it in the first place yeah are you going to work with any shooting organizations in wa well there's a, there's obviously the shooters and fishers uh sorry the uh the double double um, we've also got uh, Firearm Owners United. Um, there's uh, a couple of members uh, in that organization here in WA. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll be working with them. There may be a speaking opportunity for an event coming up, but I don't have details on that just yet. Um, so, yeah, I, I intend to work with those guys, work with those lobby groups, um, work with those interest groups. You know, there's a lot that I don't understand. I'll admit that. I don't know everything about firearms law in WA. I don't know everything about firearms. But I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to cooperate with these guys who do and hear them out and figure out how best I can use my position in parliament to help, you know, uh, you know, loosen the government's hold on, on firearms and WA. Absolutely. Now, there seems to be a bit, obviously, we've got a fair few pro-gun parties. We've got, you know, as you just spoke about, Shooters and Fishers. We've got, say, CATA, the LDP, somewhat one nation, I guess, as well, might be sympathetic on, on certain areas of gun laws. So what can the LDP, say, offer shooters over parties like SFP, One Nation, Bob Catter? There's a bit of argy-bargy about who the shooting vote belongs to, who the best person to vote for is. I mean, there's a lot of interesting discussions going on on Facebook. So what can LDP offer shooters over, say, these other parties? You know, um, I'm not too familiar with the Shooters and Fishers parties' policies in Western Australia. I I haven't been able to find any specific info. I think it's mostly for New South Wales, what they have on their website. Um, but uh, what I will say uh, is the Liberal Democrats, you know, we consider self-defense to be a legitimate reason to own a firearm. Now, I'm not sure if the other parties actually have that written in their policy anywhere, but, uh, but we do. It's actually there on our website. We don't shy away from it either. Um, we also want to remove the ban on semi-autos, which... One Nation, when, when I've looked at their policies, they're happy with the 1996 National Firearms Agreement. They want to keep it as it is. They want some review here and there, but otherwise they're happy with that agreement, at least according to their website. Uh, we, want to, we want to roll those back. We want people to get their semi-autos back. Um, we also want, you know, subject to stringent background checks, we want people to be able to obtain concealed carry permits. So, you know, yes, you know, I, I don't have a problem with police. I know that's a contentious issue, but, you know, not just police, but we want members of the public to be able to get a permit for concealed carry. And that's, I don't think any other party has that policy. I may be mistaken. I don't know a lot about the Cata Party, but, um, you know, concealed carry, semi-autos, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, self-defense is a legitimate reason for owning a firearm. I think are three areas where the Liberal Democrats stand out against other parties. Um, you know, but uh, and then you can also include all the other, you know, pro-gun policies of the other parties we also cover, you know, so removing paintball, airsoft, et cetera, hunting on crown land, uh, you know, removing, a, a, you know, firearms registration. Um, so we've got all those plus 
concealed carry, bring back semi-autos, and self-defense is a legitimate reason. All right. We normally have a bit of a, a segment here, Aaron. It's, it's an interesting one. It's normally five questions in under a minute, but some, right. of, some of the things we spoke about, um, you don't do. So I've had to, I'm going to make it now for the, for the purposes of this show, <laughs> three questions in under 30 seconds. So do oh, you okay. think you can take the challenge? Yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? All right. Sure. Three, two, one. Biggest challenge you've faced since becoming a politician. What is it and why? Uh, oh, geez, I guess, uh, you know, getting out of my sort of little social bubble and having to interact with different people. Yeah, which policy, <laughs> change, yeah. Yeah, which policy from the LDP resonates with you the most? What policy is it and why? Uh, yeah, you know, probably legalizing cannabis. I, I know that it's not my favorite policy. I don't smoke, but we're the only party that does it, that takes that principled position where I don't smoke, David Lanham doesn't smoke, but we want to legalize it for everybody based on the principle of liberty. If you could own or shoot any gun you wanted, what would it be and why? Oh, you know, I'm a sucker for the 1911, just the nostalgia, the, the look and the form factor of the old, uh, the old 1911s. Uh, something about them does it for me. 44, your total blowout. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. Sometimes we, uh, we, I used to do it, five, I think it was five questions in under five minutes and then the, the people were way too quick. Then I said five <laughs> questions in under a minute and then some people went for three minutes and then I was like, so, no, nah, it's interesting. It's good fun anyway to uh, do it. Tell us a story, mate, I guess, uh, to finish off. Uh, something that resonates in your mind as I guess is a good day in, in the life of Aaron Stonehouse. Yeah, you know, um, I, I don't really have any, uh, you know, hunting stories or shooting stories as such. I suppose, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't do a lot of shooting. Um, I'm in the process of trying to get my pistol license, and I've not been hunting, of course. But um, when, uh, when I went to the last time I went to the pistol, oh, no, not the last time, the previous time, a couple of months ago, I went to the pistol range at Jarradale to, you know, to suss out how I'd become a member and how I'd get my pistol license and my club endorsement. And uh, so I spent a bit of time there chatting with the guys and watching them do their practical shooting. And there was um, there was this uh, guy there with his with his holster, a you know, big, big fat guy. So he's got his he's got his belt, um, sort of like he's got the inner belt, you know, with the velcro, and then the outer belt that straps onto it, right, with his holster. And so he's zip tied his the outer belt to the inner belt. He's got like zip ties on there to hold it in, so it doesn't fall off, you know, as his gut spills over his belt. And um, and he wanted to adjust his holster, so he's trying to take off the outer belt, but he's got the zip ties on there. So he pulls out his knife, and he tries to cut the zip ties. He cuts his finger open, his trigger finger. He's bleeding all over the place. He rushes off to the first aid uh, cabinet and comes back later with his whole finger wrapped up. He's out for the day. He can't do any shooting. His finger's buggered. He's, he's got it wrapped up. And so he's trying to still get this friggin' belt off. He can't get it off. So he asks someone else for help. So someone else comes along and grabs his knife off him. They go to cut the zip, zip ties off. They cut their finger, trigger finger, again. So you've got the, the first guy, the fat guy, has cut his finger open, out for the day. The guy who comes to help him has cut his finger open, out for the day. Uh, and the guy's still got his friggin' belt on with the zip ties. <laughs> Eventually he gets it off. But, you know, the, the two people out for the day after this whole belt uh, fiasco. But I thought that was funny, you know. Uh, you know, obviously it sucks for those guys to cut their fingers, but uh, it was funny because we're at a firing range with handguns, right? You know, if you listen to the news and to politicians, this should be a dangerous place. You know, someone's going to get shot. No, 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 no. The worst injury anyone sustained there was, was cutting their finger open on a pocket knife trying to get a belt off. <laughs> uh, so I thought that was kind of funny. You know, the most dangerous thing at a firing range turned out to be a pocket knife. Unbelievable, unbelievable. <laughs> oh, well, it sounds very interesting. I guess I won't be doing that again. 
Well, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it, yeah. So be careful when zip tying, yeah. Absolutely. Don't don't zip tie up your belt or whatever you was trying to do there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if people want to find out more about the LDP or they might want to contact you or the or at least the party, how do they go about it? Where do they go? Websites, etc. Yeah, well, probably the best way to keep track of what we're doing is uh, through Facebook. So you just go to, you know, Aaron Stonehouse MLC uh, on Facebook there, you'll find me. Follow the page there. There's also the Liberal Democrats WA page on Facebook. That, that's probably the best way to keep track of what we're doing, you know, in Parliament and in the press. But also, uh, you know, Twitter. Um, so I've got my own Twitter there. And, and if, you know, while the stuff on Facebook is all scheduled and, and very organised, Twitter's where I can just, you know, send off a few characters, you know, make some remarks or some observations. So check me out on Twitter as well. That's at Stonehouse MLC. Well, Aaron Stonehouse, uh, representing the Liberal Democrats in WA, joins me here on the Australian Hunting Podcast. Aaron, thanks for your time. I really do appreciate it, and thanks for getting together with me today. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.